When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ho, 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 hello, and welcome to Bah Humbug, the Christmas movies podcast that has never, ever once gone ice skating without falling into the arms of a handsome and eligible stranger. Hello, everybody. I'm Helen O'Hara, and I'm going to be your host. And our topic today is a film that is celebrating its 75th anniversary this year. That is 1947's The Bishop's Wife. It's directed by Henry Coster, who made The Robe on a similarly religious subject, and also Harvey about a giant invisible rabbit. And it stars Cary Grant as an angel who visits Bishop David Niven and his long-suffering wife, Loretta Young, to try and help them sort out their lives. If that sounds a little bit familiar, but not entirely familiar, you may be thinking of the remake, The Preacher's Wife, uh, made in about, I think, 1996 with Denzel Washington, Courtney B. Vance and Whitney Houston in uh, similar roles. Uh, But joining me to discuss the original are two experts and I think fans of this movie. I'm delighted to be joined today by Pamela Hutchinson, who's a critic and historian. Hello. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. <laughs> and also by Clarice Lockery, who is chief film critic at The Independent. Hey, how you doing? Hello. I'm very excited. I'm excited about this. <laughs> okay, because I'll be honest, we I was planning to do this anyway because it is the anniversary, but then we had a conversation where you said, this is your big Christmas movie. This is your It's a Wonderful Life, more than It's a Wonderful Life is. Isn't that right? Yes. Uh, I watched it every single year growing up. And we did also sometimes double bill it with It's a Wonderful Life, but the one mainstay was also just always, always the bishop's wife. And I don't really know the reason why. I haven't actually asked my dad that. If it's from his childhood, I imagine so. But it's so it's just it's just been ever present in my life. And even rewatching it just for this, I got quite emotional because I it's like every Christmas of my childhood came flooding back and it was like, wow, okay. <laughs> wow, I didn't realise I had such emotional attachment to the the Carrie Grant Angel movie. <laughs> Pamela, how about you? Well, how do you feel about this one? Is this a, is this a favourite that you go back to? Carrie Grant is a favourite. Uh, so, <laughs> so that elevates The Bishop's Wife among, uh, above many a, a festive movie. I certainly didn't grow, grow up watching this one, didn't grow up watching many Hollywood films, particularly at Christmas. Um, but of course, I sought this out because of Harry Grant. And one of the things I find interesting about it, and that's why I think it's interesting how much you love it, uh, Clarice, is that I think it gets better every time you watch it because it's so gentle that the first watch is a little bit underwhelming. But as you um, begin to, to attune to the best excitement being a refilled sherry glass, I think you realise it's a really magical film. So yeah, I, I do love it now. I feel like that the refilling cher- uh, sherry glass is something that a lot of people can kind of get on board with at Christmas, you know, <laughs> especially visiting some grannies, right? And it's particularly good sherry as well. He doesn't fill it up with the same thing. Such a, such a thoughtful touch from a, a Cary Grant angel, though. Mm. So 
I was reading about the production of this today and I didn't realise quite how much drama there was behind the scenes. So it was, it was initially going to be a, a completely different movie, I think. Uh, Henry Coster was not the first choice of director. He came in later. Uh, David Niven was originally going to be the angel. And then the entire cast had to had to swap around when the original um, leading lady uh, fell pregnant and, and Loretta Young had to come in. And then they brought in Cary Grant, but Cary Grant didn't want to be the bishop. He wanted to be the angel. And that's why you got the swap in the cast that we, we ended up with today. And there was, by the way, a Billy Wilder, Charles Brackett rewrite on the script. I mean, you know, the these are some good people. These are these are good problems to have if this is if this is the the lineup that you end up with, I suppose. Yeah, I think when I found out about Billy Wilder, I was like, "Oh, <laughs> that a lot of stuff makes sense now." I mean, I don't know what he contributed, but I'm such a huge fan of his work, so I feel like it's, it's certain moments click for me as being feet. I don't know, feeling. Wilder, but I, maybe I'm just maybe I'm just projecting though. Mm. That might be it. <laughs> I, I wonder the same thing because, like you know, when, when I read that and I was sort of thinking back, I was like, well, maybe he's the he added in the sort of atheist professor. You know, maybe that's a sort of a Wilderian yes. touch. But maybe maybe we're falling into the kind of AI artificial intelligence trap of assuming that ending is Spielberg's when it's actually Kubrick's. You know, so I I don't know. I think it's the um, very, very low-key slapstick that where David Niven gets glued to a, a chair and yes. he's the bishop visiting an old woman and so he, he gets glued to the chair and, of course, he can't get out and there's all this implicit humour, the idea that the bishop might have to take his trousers off. But like many things in the film, it's so delicately underplayed that it isn't really the farcical slapstick that you might expect. I think that's one of the wilder touches. Mm. Um, yeah, and just generally... Um, poking his nose in and, and saying he didn't think much of it because nobody did. Nobody made the film thought it was going to work at all. It's it's funny that, isn't it? And actually, initially at the box office, it didn't work and they had to uh, basically call out to Pamela, particularly by renaming it Harry and the Bishop's Wife. Yeah, uh, and sort in some of, areas. Um, imply there's a little bit more infidelity going on in the film than there really is because, um, you know, as you as you watch it when you get older, you do you, all you can think of as you know Loretta Young and Cary Grant are going to have an affair, just like they did in Born to Be Bad in 1932. But of course, this film won't quite get, get us there between the production code and uh, the fact that David Niffen plays a bishop. Poor David Niffen. Poor David. <laughs> <laughs> he just wants to build his cathedral. Yeah, he's very poignant. I think David Niffen in the role. He's actually going through a terrible time at the time. He just lost his wife, and he didn't want to play the the bishop. No, not at all. And he didn't. And, and yet he he's really quite moving in the way that he is so struggling with his faith and with his sort of purpose in life, and which allows Cary Grant to come in and bring the charm and the fun and the magic, I think. Yeah, I, I find it so difficult to imagine the role swapped, even though I know, I know they could do it. <laughs> I feel like those performances are so, so well balanced that I just... Yeah, like, yeah, his his sorrow and then Cary Grant's just like <laughs> twinkling, swanning through the movie, every woman just turning into mush in front of him. <laughs> I, 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 I just can't quite, yeah, swap them in my head because I don't know what that film is. But I think it's to do with how the actors felt about the roles. You know, Cary Grant said he didn't really like the idea of playing this angel because on the script he said, you know, the script is a, a high-handed magician. Well, that's exactly how he plays him. I mean, you could have played it differently. Mm. He is rather superior, you know. Oh, I, I know a lot about heaven, and he he and he has these little tricks which he does quite discreetly. He's quite an arch angel, 
if that's not that's not <laughs> funny come up with this week is it sorry that's terrible but he is he's a rather archangel and I think that allows him to bring in some of the sort of darker tones in the film when he talks about how you know obviously it's 1947 and he talks about how he's been having to do a lot of work in Paris and that he doesn't get to choose where he's sent and when you have this pivot to return around and say actually you know maybe you don't want a cathedral maybe you want to help the poor it does all come from the fact that Cary Grant isn't here just for fun and to make you know, the Christmas tree nicer. There is something quite dark about his character. Oh my gosh, when he begs Loretta Young to be like, please don't send me away, it that always gets me because I, every time I watch the film, I sort of forget about that scene because as you said, like it, there's so much lightness to it. And that's sort of the, it's, it's so overwhelming as a tone that you come away from it thinking that's the movie. And then all those things you just talked about, like the darkness and yeah, the tragedy of his character that he, he falls in love with a woman, but he can't because he's an angel and that's not his job. <laughs> he has to go somewhere else. It's, is I think, feel like every time I watch it, those moments hit me like it's the first time I'm seeing them. It's some, I don't know. It's really remarkable to me. I had a weird moment this summer. I was I was almost watching it going, is he is he actually in love or is this a sort of final test? Whether for him, for her, for some somewhere in between. Like I was really, I was really not sure how I was supposed to feel about that kind of declaration. Cause he almost switches it off right after. He almost, you know, there's there's almost a a moment of just going back to normal almost. So I was like, well, is that was that a was that a trial almost rather than a genuine declaration of love? Because in the in the remake, in The Preacher's Wife, like Denzel genuinely seems absolutely love-struck by, by Whitney Houston's character. And, and I, I, I was really going back and forth this time on, on whether that's really the case in The Bishop's Wife. There's something quite serious about The Bishop's Wife, considering, you know, it's one of these sort of um, whimsical fantasy comedies. And obviously, Cary Grant had made Topper, where he played the ghost that goes and cheers everyone up. And we'd had all these kind of fantasy comedies, even It's a Wonderful Life, not that that was a particularly successful film or, um, you know, I'm, you know, married a witch or whatever. But actually, from like, I think we'll say, oh, rewatching it, sweet, you know, it's about five minutes into the film. We're talking about quite obscure stricture stories when the professor talks about the widow's might. I mean, not many people know what the widow's might is, you know, and you really are sort of trying to deal with the idea of a real angel rather than just sort of a cuddly character that sits on top of a Christmas tree. And so the idea that he's so visibly conflicted, I think, really. It is in it is in the tone of the film, and I think it's why the film is sort of takes people by surprise a bit. It's not the uh, cuddly fantasy you expect from the opening scene at the department store with the snow and all that. But then you know the Godfather starts with that too, so you know. <laughs> and that isn't very cuddly in the end. Yeah, not my cuddliest film. No, no. <laughs> Although it was quite a good watch at Christmas. <laughs> We, we were just talking about the Sight and Sound uh, 100 Greatest Films list, but if they did the 100 Greatest Cuddly Films, it would be a very different list. It really yeah. would. Yeah, I mean, although who doesn't want to cuddle Jean Dillon? Uh Well, yeah, just make sure you've scanned the dressing room table first. But yeah, uh, cuddly <laughs> isn't something that we uh, we celebrate in films enough, except at Christmas when watching something like The Bishop's Wife with its, you know, heaven and earth, biggest fish to fry narrative is really absurdly comforting. Mm. It's the one time of year where I think we are encouraged to be uncynical while I feel like the 11 other months... It, you're right. It's very. It is quite shunned upon. I feel like this, and even potentially, it's a wonderful life. If they were not set at Christmas, <laughs> maybe it would not be the classics that 
they're thought of today because people would go, ugh, <laughs> ugh, so cheesy. Uh, it's like the one, yeah, it's the one time a year where people actually become human for a month. <laughs> <laughs> Finally human. I love that there's there's a, a, there's a little bit of overlap between this and uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, Robert J. Anderson, who plays the young George Bailey, is the is he the defence captain? I think he's the defence captain of the 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 rival snowball throwing teams. I guess yeah. that's a thing that exists. Um, but but it was I just had such a little you know spark seeing him. I was like, oh, I know that guy. And I'm amazing. Caroline Grimes. It's um, the same little girl from both films as well. You must have thought, one of these days I'll have a hit. One of these days. <laughs> Just keep plugging days. away, girl. <laughs> Look, I mean, like in, in terms of enduring legacy, she hasn't done too badly. And it did get, I think it was six Oscar nominations and it won for Best Sound. So I'm not sure what that makes. Maybe it makes it the Transformers of its day, but, you know, it still won an Oscar. I feel like, you know, with, with Oscar nominations and, and the fact that we're still talking about it, we're celebrating a 75th anniversary. There is a re-release uh, this month. The last laugh definitely went to to Costa and cast. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say, actually, is that um, despite the fact that everybody hated each other, because Karen Grant and Loretta Young hated each other and reasons people hated Loretta Young were not very not very pleasant, but um, apparently he got on really well with the children. So maybe that's why there is that little warmth at the heart of the film, you know, the way he is with the little kids, telling them the Bible stories and talking about Santa Claus, you know, that is that is the one sort of really true and touching relationship in the film off screen as well mm. as on screen. So, you know, maybe we need to credit these child actors a little bit more because they are, they obviously could crack through crusty old Cary Grant shell. <laughs> that's very <laughs> sweet. Actually. You don't think of somehow Cary Grant with kids, you know, you, you don't, that's not the sort of publicity photos that you see of him, or at least I don't, as maybe you do, because Pamela, you're a historian, you, you look through all of the photos, but, um, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't feel like that guy who often plays opposite kids. And yet when he does, it can be very, very good. Are you trying to say that Cary Grant's not the marrying kind, Helen? Because that's a whole different podcast. Um, I would but never say that. At this point in his life, he was so desperate to have children, you know, he was, that's all he would think about really. So, you know, to have a role like this, even though, you know, we maybe think of him playing more adult roles. It's obviously something that appealed to him, that aspect of the film. And he is so sweet with them. He's got that twinkle in his eye. That's really lovely. Clarice, do you have like favourite scenes or the moments that you're kind of waiting for when you when you go back for your annual rewatch? I was going to, I was about to say, actually, I think the snowball scene is my favourite with little Debbie and she, she goes out to the park and there's like a bunch of older boys <laughs> who won't let her play the snowball fight. And Carrie Grant's like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> and, and yeah, you're, you're so right. There's such, um, oh, there's such a tenderness between them in that moment. And he just kind of gets down on her level and she's like, okay, but I can't play. I can't, I'm not good though. <laughs> They're it's right to kick me out of the game. And Carrie Grant's like, ah, 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 no, just, just watch. And then he uses his angel magic to land the perfect curveball. Uh, and I think actually my favorite line is when he then goes back to Loretta Young and she's like, oh, will she, will she get hurt? And he, he says, yeah, but she's going to have the best time. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so sweet. And that to me is, is there's something so Christmassy about it, about like of of all the little gifts that he gives along the way, just letting a kid be a kid is one of the purest, I think. And that's kind of the heart of everything that he's doing in The Bishop's Wife is 
like allowing people to be their truest selves. Uh, so I, yeah, I do like, I, I find this movie kind of quite profound in places. And I know it's, it, uh, compared to It's a Wonderful Life, <laughs> it doesn't feel maybe as, I don't know, people like, I've had a lot of people dismiss it over the years and I get a bit sad because I, I, I think there is, I think there is that same sort of reflectiveness to it as It's a Wonderful Life. I, I think so. I think, I think there's profundity to it. And I also think we're sometimes a little slow to see profundity in popular things. And I think it can still be there very much. I feel like it's, it's how you respond to the material, right? It's not how much it made at the box office that determines, you know, it, its impact on you as a person it doesn't have to be the same for everybody. And I feel like, you know, there, there, there are messages here and they're not just the obvious kind of Christian-y, um, you know, angelic message. There, there's, a, there's a general message that everyone can get behind whatever your religion about, you know, the importance of not getting so blinded by your cause that you forget your family and your loved ones. That's a, that's a general thing about, you know, want, uh, you know, someone wanting to feel appreciated by the people around her and not just uh, taken for granted and sort of assumed. I feel like there's, you know, these are, these are things that are universal. These are things that, that apply across the board, I guess. I'm Sam Clements, host of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, another podcast in the Stripped Media family, a podcast that celebrates movies under 90 minutes long. Each episode, I'm joined by a special guest who selects a movie to join our prestigious lineup. Past guests have included fellow Stripped Media family members Martin and Sam from Song by Song and Kobe from Flixwatcher and Dave from The Wire Stripped. Search for us now on the app you're currently listening to this podcast or join us at 90minfilmfest.com. There's a lot of regret. I think all the characters come in in the beginning with this feeling of, oh, how did I get to this point in my life? You know, certainly the professor with this book that he keeps saying he's going to write <laughs> for like the past decade and he hasn't put down a word. And it's quite sad. And I think to me, there is a lot of melancholy in Christmas because you're at the end of the year and you're sort of going back home often and you're forced to reflect <laughs> on everything that you have or have not achieved. So I can find, I find it quite a gloomy season sometimes. And so I, I appreciate when Christmas films sort of at least acknowledge that side of it. But then, nice thing about Bishop's Wife is that it, it tells each of those characters, no, it's not too late. You, you haven't like missed the chance to be the person you wanted to be. Uh, and, it's, yeah, it's something genuinely quite inspiring about that, especially the professor, because <laughs> I feel like I relate to him a lot. I, I love the professor. Can we talk about him for a minute? Because, you know, the idea of someone essentially divinely inspiring you and suddenly you could just write your book like that. Heaven. heaven. Oh, it's heaven. Dream. It really is. That's the right word. And, you know, he's the sort of Jewish character, like the director as well. And so he's sort of outside all the trappings of the religion. And yet he's really got to the heart of of understanding what's important in life and he's just he's struggling with his expression of that and I think so there's something really profound about something really beautiful about the idea of someone who can't quite put their beautiful thoughts into words 
that's my excuse for missing my deadlines anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm being profound here. I'm having trouble putting my beautiful thoughts into words, okay, people? <laughs> my thoughts are too big for, for me to write them down. <laughs> I will say my one criticism of the film, and it makes me wince every time, is the line about the coin that there's this ancient Roman coin and the professor's like, it's useless, it's nothing. And then Cary Grant <laughs> just comes up with this story about how it's the fee that Julius Caesar paid for Cleopatra's hotel bill when she visited Rome. <laughs> like, what, <laughs> what was- Roman hotels are you thinking of? <laughs> and also Cleopatra stayed in a hotel? What? <laughs> yeah, I mean... That's, it's not a very Christian vibe suddenly there, is it at all? No. Yeah. And I think, like, I always think that, oh, he's just making it up. But then I'm, the professor, who is supposedly an expert in this period, just buys it. He's like, <laughs> well, I, I don't know much about that. Him. I'll just look that up. Yeah, I'll just look that up. I'll write that story. Is this like that J-Lo film? Is it The Boy Next Door where he gives her a first edition of the Iliad? I don't know that I'm sorry, I've just broken both my guests. I'm yeah, sorry, it's I'm, something I'm, like that. He gives her it's something like a first edition is described and, and as does of she the Iliad. Sell it to Sotheby's? No, no, it's just a it's just a gift. It's just a nice gift that he gives to to Jennifer Lopez's character. That is quite a gift. That's quite a gift. I do think um the bit that really knocked me on my feet when I watched it this time, it's probably not everyone's favourite bit, but the choir, the boys the boys all turning it for the choir. Mm-hmm. And it's it's so beautiful that he just sort of ushers them in to cheer up the vicar. But it's it, it's a beautifully staged moment. But what I kept thinking was that line where he said earlier, he says, she says, oh, the vicar's going to be so disappointed. And he says, well, why should he be disappointed? And I just, that really resonated for me as like the theme of the whole film. Why should anyone be disappointed? And why should we be disappointed? It's Christmas. And, and you know, it's the idea of someone might get a pipe or a tie for Christmas or someone might get a choir or not to feel blue for five minutes and it's so lovely and it, uh, yeah it cuts across all kinds of things and you know whether it's whether it's writing your book off some fraudulent history that will no doubt get you know torn apart on social media as soon as you release it so don't worry about it uh, or whether it's <laughs> listening to some street tough kids sing in the choir yeah that's a very sweet scene actually I really do love that yeah mm, and the um, fact when they're not there at the beginning I like that he says, no, they're good boys. It's like, oh, because <laughs> it's a sort of dismissal of, oh, they're off playing ba- is it bas- basketball or just being mischievous. And he's like, no, no, like they're good in their heart. And it's like, oh, it's just really sweet. I'm very bad at talking about this movie because it's so wrapped up in nostalgia <laughs> for me that I just get emotional about everything. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's something to be less emotional about. What about the the question of the cathedral? Uh, and the, and th- th- there's an idea at one point. So so basically, uh, David Niven's character Henry is trying to get all these rich people to donate to build this cathedral, and he's particularly trying for Mrs. Hamilton, who's played by Gladys Cooper. And she's basically determined that essentially her husband's name be emblazoned across everything in the cathedral. Her late husband is it's going to be essentially a monument to him, and and he keeps kind of pushing back and going, well, no, like it has to be a cathedral for more than one person, you know, who isn't Ooh. a saint. Like it's important that it be for everyone, and. There is a moment at least where he basically gives up arguing with her to just take the money. And I'm a bit like, I mean, it's still not great to have her husband's name over everything. So you still do kind of need to win that argument, you know? It was a bit bit of an odd moment, I thought. 
She, he suggests that, you know, she's so materialistic that he, a vicar, can't change her mind, her, a bishop can't change her mind. And that's really, really depressing. I mean, obviously, it all turns around and we decide to do something better with the money in mm. the end, which is the sort of real social message of the film. But um, can we just mention that Gladys Cooper is amazing and one of the many, many great British actors in this film? Elsa yes. Lanchester, David Niven, Carrie Grant, I think, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah I saw that in the yeah, holidays. He still counts. So he must be. He still counts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's definitely British in my book. Um, yeah. Uh, so, you know, it, that's a really, really cynical low point to get to where you think that as a bishop, you can't change hearts and minds at all. I get it, though. Because I, <laughs> this is, I think David Niven's so good at at showing like his frustration that this has been going on for months, right? Yeah. And he's really reached this point where he can't turn back because he's dedicated his entire life's purpose. He's thrown away St. Timothy's, the little church that was so beautiful and he really cared about because he's like, I'm going to build this cathedral. And... I think it, there is something really relatable about reaching that point where you just go, I give up, whatever you want. I don't care anymore. Just like, <laughs> I just want the thing to be done. Like, I feel like I've done been in that situation many times. <laughs> like, as a writer, when you're like, you're getting the edits, and you're like, oh, I'm not sure about these edits. And you're like trying to like negotiate. And then you just reach a point where you're like, I don't, I give up. <laughs> just let it be what it is. <laughs> I, I, I have that more like this anymore. I have that more with myself where I'm, I'm, you know, I tend to like write the whole thing and then get stuck on the last line. And then I'm, uh, you know, I can sometimes like spend as long as on the last line as I have on the entire rest of the whatever. And it, there does come a point where just, I just, just take it away. I don't just, I don't want it anymore. You, you yeah, decide. The end. Yeah. It was good. And then they all lived happily ever after. You know? <laughs> so I feel like that's, that's Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm at that stage right now. Um, oh. Yeah, but it's okay. It's fine because Carrie Grant will come along and refill my sherry grass, glass of optimism. <laughs> I'm really confused, by the way, about the building of the cathedral. Just just to get like, you know, ecumenical about this for a second. Um, a cathedral is the seat of a bishop. That is like the definition of a cathedral. If he is a bishop, surely he already has a cathedral. But what? Is there no cathedral there now, or is it just in disrepair? I, I'm very confused. Is it new, maybe it's a new bishopric? I yes. just I'm I'm confused because he was at St Timothy's, which now has a reverend. Is mm. this is this like compared to England, where we are quite reticent and Greater Britain? Uh, is this an uh, example of like job title inflation in America, where like every academic is called a professor or something like that? It can't be. I think the explanation might be because. Obviously, in the UK, so many of the cathedrals are centuries old, right? And very long established buildings. I wonder, I, I guess I just, I don't know enough about the history here, but I do wonder if in the US, the actual building of the cathedrals was still going is on. still an ongoing project because you will so rarely find a cathedral that is like, I don't know, earlier than the 1900s. Mm. Like, I feel like it took them a while to start building those. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. I may be judging it on, on unfair terms. Can we quickly discuss, I don't know if you guys have seen it or have any affection for it at all, but The, the Preacher's Wife, the, the remake, how does that compare for you, if it does, even slightly? I saw it a very long time ago, and it's again this thing that I remember it being 
really nice and it captured some of the loveliness of the original, but I am just too emotionally tied to this movie. <laughs> I was like, this is, this is wrong. <laughs> this is not exactly the same as the thing that my childhood is built around. I can't deal with it. But it's hard as well because I think The Bishop's Wife is very tied to the, the time period that it came out, you know, and the feelings like the post-war sort of both like grief and wanting to find hope, like that combination, I think. I, I've never seen it, which is a crime because Denzel Washington is in Denzel this film. So, I mean, yeah. some people call him the modern Cary Grant. I'm just saying. I mean, so. I'm, if, I, you know, if anyone's going to be, it's going to be someone that <laughs> handsome. <but> yes. <laughs> well, I I rewatched it. Just it's an it's an. I think his performance in it is it takes a bit of getting used to. If I'm honest, it's it's odd, especially at that era in his career, sort of peak Denzel Washington. It's it's weird for me though because uh, I think. It does some of the big beats really well. And obviously, you know, him being kind of just completely starstruck by by Whitney Houston's Julia, 100% by that makes sense, especially because she sings in it. She sings. And so, of course, he's going to be sitting there basically gaping at her like everyone else. It also is a great child performance again. Justin Pierre-Edmond plays their son, Jeremiah, who is adorable on a whole other scale. What's interesting to me about this one is it has a real kind of social message. So there's a whole subplot that is absolutely added on about a young black man of the neighborhood who has been essentially arrested for being in the neighborhood of a crime that happened uh, and for no other reason. And so Courtney B. Vance's uh, preacher, um, Henry again, you know, he has a whole kind of odyssey about trusting this kid who says he did nothing wrong, believing that kid and then really working hard enough to get this kid out of jail and, and you know, because he, he's been denied bail. So so there's a kind of, you know, there's a little bit more kind of social commentary. There's a little bit more engagement with racism and with, um, you know, poverty and with uh, social injustice, I think. And they've tried to update that element, I think, of 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 the particularity of the bishop's wife. So, you know, there's there's an attempt made basically there's there's something there but no Cary Grant yeah there's there's a lot that has to go unsaid in The Bishop's Wife you know there's a lot that sort of the production code and you know obviously the 40s in Hollywood um you know there's there's a lot simmering beneath the surface but it's such a delicate film that you know it doesn't sort of offer those things up I can imagine the remake they would say we have to have to make him do something more than sort out a snowball fight. I can imagine the <laughs> studio having that conversation. Which is that snowball fight, you know, speaks to us all. It it does, absolutely. And and there's there is skating in both films. Um I loved how in this one, when they start skating, the cinematography is is expertly balanced because their faces are always in shadow. And funny enough, Cary Grant looks about three inches shorter than usual. Yeah, when he's spinning. When he's spinning, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Considering this yeah. is like Greg Toland photographed film, it has the most shocking set of photographic special effects in that scene. And it's almost like, it's almost in the way that when you watch this film, you get excited when you know he's going to dress the Christmas tree. You almost get quite excited to see the incredibly bad patched in skating job. Because again, it's just another, it's another sort of beat you remember in the film. But the Christmas tree is better. The Christmas tree is better because yes, he he just miraculously decorates a Christmas tree and in 10 seconds flat and having taken a good three hours to do mine last week you know this is that's no yeah. mean feat there's a real kind of mary poppins to that where he does the filing and a trice and he you know types a sermon and he does the christmas tree and you think oh, everybody needs a visit from mr dudley not just because he, you know saves a baby in the first reel so uh, yeah he's a he's such a good man 
such a treasure to have around the house. Yeah, it's interesting you say Barry Poppins because I always feel like Elsa Lanchester's character, the the maid, really feels like one of the Mary Poppins maids as well, where they're so <laughs> just kind of following him around, <laughs> being like, this scarf? Do you want this scarf? I, I, I made it for the bishop, but you can have it now. <laughs> and there's something so sweet about her character that she just immediately, fully on his side, go have an affair. I support you. <laughs> There is a there is a feminist element about, you know, how much work needs to be done around the house to make the home happy. And obviously David Niven is very much out of that. Loretta Young is doing everything by herself, except with the maids. And how much the, the women who work in the house are invested in making everyone in the house super happy with cakes and scarves for cold angels. And, you know, they're very, very invested in the running of this house in a way that the, the men aren't. And Dudley coming in as this angel figure figures into certain feminist theories about the role of women in, in houses. I can swear you can see Loretta Young thinking about her Christmas wrapping while she's meant to be talking to her husband about bigger matters, you know. It, it does feel like he's he's a one-man queer eye. You know, he comes in and he makes your house better and he sorts out your emotional issues. Uh, and, and he's kind of, he's the fab five, uh, you know, of them from Queer Eye, basically all, all in one. But it is, but, you know, there, there's readings of that show as well, that what is what is exciting about it to watch and what is enticing is that exactly that. It's someone coming in and recognising the emotional labour that needs to be done and then just doing it without you having to ask or or nudge or you know sort of make up lists they 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 just see the problem and fix the problem and so that to me is the wish fulfillment element in this in this film obviously also getting to look at Cary Grant that's a high on the wish list but but the you know the, the sort of emotional labor aspect is huge yeah it's interesting it feels very i hadn't thought about queer eye but when you think about him taking uh, Loretta to the restaurant that she wants to go to with her husband. That's very queer eye. That's like, you could just come here and have this lunch and then maybe he'll get the idea to take you as well. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. What does he bring you? Does it bring you joy? Otherwise, get it out of the house. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Marie Kondo. <laughs> I mean, you know, all these Christmas films, they all have these kind of long, dark night of the soul makeover things. And, you know, from the very beginning, Harry Grant's character is lecturing people about what they should and shouldn't do. Like, he really tells off the mother who lets her baby go off in the pram and things. And, you know, there's something about these Christmas films, they let you submit to this kind of rigorous process where someone will tell you top to toe what's wrong with you. Yeah, no, probably your daughter doesn't love you anymore. You may want to do something about that, you know? Maybe you're putting all your efforts into building a cathedral when you could be helping the poor. I mean, it's, it's tough love in many ways. <laughs> it's really tough love. And, you know, just because he's right. Yeah. And it does end up happily, right? I feel like that's where it kind of for me the the post-war like specific like I don't know there's something about the idea of the characters being very very lost at the beginning and you could take with that sort of all the 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 grief and the sacrifice and and everything that people are coming post-war to this movie with and then having this makeover of like, now you get to be who you truly <laughs> want to be. There's going to be an economic boom. Welcome to the 50s. <laughs> I, I, it sort of it ties quite strangely into, I think, the wider American narrative of like, this is the opportunity for everything is going to be great now. And Cary Grant is America. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
I think um, it would be interesting in a double bill with Mrs. Miniver, you know, which also mm-hmm. ends with the sermon and, and the idea that, you know, we'll get through this, whatever it is. You know, I think the characters in The Bishop's Wife think they've got through the war, but clearly they haven't. They haven't got through it yet. They haven't let go of all those scars and all that difficulty. And, you know, they're about to. They're about to. So, yeah, that would be interesting. I mean, you would cry for days if you showed those two films together. But that's healthy. Yeah. Especially at Christmas, you've got to let it all out. I love a good cry at a film. It's nothing finer. Okay, so will you guys be watching it again this year? I'm guessing, Clarice, for you, it's an absolute yes. Yeah, I don't think I'll have any choice in the matter. I think it will either happen or it will not. I have a thing with Christmas. When I go home, I have zero choice in what we watch. (laughs) I'm just shown things, even though I am the film critic in the family. They don't want to hear my recommendations at all. They just show me stuff. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll see it again. <laughs> um, my, my parents will not be requesting this film. Uh, I probably wouldn't get away with showing it to them. But as every year, we will constantly make jokes about, will you carry Grant my wine glass, please? So it will be with us in spirit. In spirit, if not in fact. Well, that's good enough for me. Um, I, I, I usually ask everybody about their Christmas traditions, but you've both been here before, so I know you've talked about that um, in the past. So I'm just going to wrap it up and say, I think we'd all quite like Cary Grant to come visit us this this Christmas, just to sort out the paperwork and tidy the house a bit. You know, that would be fantastic. But thank you so much to uh, Pamela Hutchinson and Clarice Lockery. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Well, that's it for this episode of Bar Humbug. Please join us next time for more Christmas movies madness. In the meantime, I've been your host, Helen O'Hara. This podcast is edited by Ben Williams and produced by Kobe Omanaka for Stripped Media. And if you've enjoyed the pod, please do rate us with five shiny Christmas stars wherever you listen to your podcasts. But whatever you do, happy holidays! just heard a stripped media production 